church. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to be in God's Word. Again, this morning, I'm thankful for our children's ministry. I'm thankful for our student ministry. Like I said, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, our students went to Houston. Uh, The video you saw was uh, these guys and these girls serving at Mission Fuge. Uh, It's an opportunity for them to, yes, meet and study God's Word, yes, to worship together with other students and other uh, churches from all over, you know, the South, but also it's an opportunity for them to serve. And so they went out and served in the communities there in Houston. And uh, I'm so thankful for uh, those opportunities they got to worship and those opportunities they got to serve. And then uh, the very next week, we hosted Vacation Bible School. And if you were here serving at Vacation Bible School, I'm sure you were walking around going, amen, amen, thank you, God. We had so many children here uh, at our church. I, I believe uh, anywhere between 125 and 135 children. Uh, I, on certain days, we had, I think one day we had like 70 workers. And uh, it was amazing to see what God was doing through our children's ministry. Uh, and then this week, as, as Brother Jeremy And Brother Brandon kept kind of giving me updates of what was going on. Uh, Man, what an amazing week they had. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, uh, I am very, very thankful, very thankful that this church values and invests in children. Because here's what I believe. I believe when you invest in children, what you're really doing is you're investing in family. And when you invest in family, you're investing in church. When you read God's Word, you'll notice, if you'll go to Genesis, you'll notice that before the church even existed, before God ordained the church, He ordained the family. He told Adam and Eve to go and be fruitful, multiply. And He gave them dominion over this earth. And then later on, as you continue to read and you move into the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you notice that the church was formed. And so when we invest in children, we're investing in family. And when we invest in family, we're investing in church. And that's the way it should be. And I'm so thankful that that Start Baptist Church uh, loves children and loves students and invests in them. As a matter of fact, God's Word tells us that children are blessings from God. Listen to what this says, Psalm 127, 3 and 4. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Children are blessings from God. Amen? Not only that, children need discipleship. Listen to me again. Children need discipleship. And it's not starting in the church, it starts in the home. Mamas and daddies, we need to be discipling our children first and foremost in the home. And yes, church, we need to continue in that discipleship when they're here with us. I love this, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to what God's Word says, verses 6 through 9. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Children are blessings from God 
And children need discipleship. That's what I see in the Old Testament. And as I move forward into the New Testament, as a matter of fact, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and we're looking at the life, we're looking at the ministry, we're looking at the work, we're looking at the words of Jesus Christ. And what I see in the New Testament is that Jesus values little children. He values children, and He shows His disciples, and He shows all adults that children matter to the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, children are examples of who enters the kingdom and how to enter the kingdom. I I think it's safe to say that Jesus loves the little children. Anybody know that song? Yeah. Jesus loves the little children. That's one thing I loved about VBS. Uh, Brittany was leading them in songs and in music. And yeah, there were a lot of VBS songs, but she was teaching them other songs too and singing other songs to them. And I love to hear the children sing. But I love the truth of these songs, especially Jesus loves the little children. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to find out today, look out to anyone who gets between Jesus and the children. Beware of getting between Jesus and the children. You see, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, the world, the secular world, did not value children the way Jesus did. They, they didn't even value children the way the Hebrews valued children. From a secular viewpoint, children were actually a liability. They were a liability to moms and dads. They were a liability to families, at least until they could contribute to their community. That's the way children were looked at in the world when Jesus was walking on this earth. They were a liability. In Rome, it was even worse. As a matter of fact, listen to what Dr. Daniel Aiken says in his commentary about children in Rome. In general, children were not held in high esteem by the Romans. By Jesus' day, Romans had trash heaps beside many of the homes where people could leave their unwanted children. And if other people wanted the children, they could just pick them up and do with them as they will. However, many of these children were actually taken and raised to become prostitutes, to become gladiators in the arena, or worse off, slaves. That's what children were looked at. That's how they were looked at in Jesus' day. Did you know that up until around 375 A.D., there was actually a Roman law that gave the father absolute power over his family that also included the right between life and death. Therefore, a father could put to death his child by a simple order and the government would back him up. So a father in the home could be disappointed or angry at a child and put that child to death without any questions asked, and the government would back him up. That's the world. That's the world during this time. And I'm telling you, it had an impact and it had an effect upon the Israelites, upon the Hebrews, upon the church. That's what they were surrounded with every day. And then we come to this passage. Now, you'll remember, over the past couple of weeks, I told you that Jesus values discipleship, right? The Bible says that Jesus, he brought the disciples to himself and he taught them so that he could send them out to preach the gospel, to have authority over the demons. And so Jesus is all about discipling. Even last week, we saw that Jesus was teaching his disciples about marriage. 
He, he taught his disciples. I'm going to tell you, Jesus ain't done teaching. He's going to teach his disciples today, and he's teaching me today. And I pray that he teaches you today. Matthew chapter 10, a very small passage, but a very powerful passage. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. What an awesome, what a powerful passage of Scripture. Jesus spoke powerful words, and then he portrayed, he demonstrated powerful actions. First of all, I love this. We see the people doing something incredible. The people actually lead children to Jesus. What an awesome, awesome, you know, passage. The people, they take it upon themselves to get the children to Jesus. Now, scholars tell us that the word people here very likely means parents. It very likely means grandparents. It could mean older siblings. It could mean neighbors or older friends. But here's what I want you to see. This was not a chance encounter. This was not a a stumbling upon Jesus. No, this was intentional. People were intentionally taking their children to Jesus. They were leading their children to Jesus. And and when I see that, it it makes me ask the question. And and yes, I'm going to ask you out loud, but I'm really asking me more than anything. Am I intentionally leading children to Jesus? Am I intentionally leading children to Jesus? Or am I just stumbling upon it? Well, since I'm here, we'll go ahead and do this. Is it purposeful? Is it planned? Is it intentional? Because that's what this is. This is intentional. This is people deciding, planning, and then pursuing Jesus with their children. The question again, am I leading children intentionally to Jesus? Am I pointing people to Jesus? Am I pointing people to the one who can rescue them? Rescue them from their sin and give them life full and eternal. Am I teaching children that Jesus is the one you want to run to? Or am I teaching and leading children in other directions? Am I leading children at all? Am I pointing children at all to the one who can save them? That's what I see right here right off the bat. The people are doing a good thing. They're doing the best thing. They're getting their children to Jesus. And then, right after that, we read something very disturbing. Now, again, I want to make sure you understand, the disciples were not perfect. The disciples were sinners, just like you and I are sinners, and they needed a Savior. But it disturbs me that they've been walking with Jesus, that Jesus has been pouring into them, and instead of seeing the children with value, they don't. Because what happens? It says the disciples rebuked them. So the disciples rebuke the people. 
Now, I dug into this and I studied this. I asked the questions. We don't really know the ultimate intentions. It's not here in Mark. It's not in Matthew. We don't know the intent of the disciples by rebuking these people who are bringing children to Jesus. It's often debated that these disciples were trying to protect Jesus from the crowds. Because we've seen this already in the book of Mark, right? When people hear Jesus is in town, what do they do? They storm to him. I mean, they just, they overwhelm him. And so maybe, just maybe, the disciples took it upon themselves to protect Jesus as if he needed their protection. Sometimes we act like that, don't we? I got to protect this church. I got to protect this gospel. I got to protect my Savior and Lord. We need to be careful with our with our intentions. That might sound good, but I'm going to tell you more than anything, I need Jesus to protect me. And I need Jesus not just to protect me from out there and from them. You know what I need? I need Jesus to protect me from me. From my own heart. And from my own intent and my own mind. The disciples rebuked the people. Some, some believe that the disciples felt as though Jesus would be wasting his time talking to children. Because remember, in that day, what did the culture say about children? They're no good until what? They can actually contribute to society. And so maybe the disciples looked at these children and said, well, they really can't do anything for us, and they can't really do anything for the community, and so, Jesus, let's not waste our time with them. Maybe maybe the disciples wanted to deal with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Maybe the disciples wanted to get back to casting out demons or healing the sick. And so they rebuke the people. This shouldn't surprise us about the disciples, should it? Because if you'll remember back in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41, the disciples were walking along and they noticed someone else over here preaching in the name of Jesus. And guess what he was doing? He was casting out demons. And you know what the disciples thought? Who does he think he is? And they even asked Jesus, why why is he doing that? And do you remember what Jesus said to them? Simple words. He said, do not stop him. Do not stop him. And if you'll remember, Jesus said, if he is for us, he's not against us, right? If he's speaking in my name, then nothing bad can come out of it. Let him do what he's doing because he's casting out demons in my name. Lives are being changed. And so Jesus had to tell them, do not stop him. Listen, whatever their intent was on this day, whatever plans and purposes they had on their mind, let me just make this very clear. Jesus did not approve. He did not approve of what they said and what they did. And so what does Jesus do? He teaches his disciples. Don't you love it? When the disciples mess up, (laughs) when the disciples make a mistake, he doesn't throw them out and go pick some new ones. No, what he does is he teaches. And so Jesus teaches his disciples. We've been talking about this for several weeks. Jesus, ever since he called the disciples to himself, he's been teaching them. He's been discipling them in the ways of kingdom ministry. And don't you know that Jesus is the master teacher? And I'm going to tell you what I love about the master teacher. He is patient with me. No amens on that. Are you not thankful that Jesus is patient? Because I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus wasn't patient, 
I don't think any one of us would be sitting in this room right now. If Jesus wasn't patient, we wouldn't be here. We need to stop patting ourselves on the back and thinking we're so good and we got it all together because we don't without Jesus. We got nothing without Jesus. At our very best, do you know what our works are apart from Jesus? We just sang it just a few moments ago. Filthy rags. At best, right? Our very best apart from Jesus and His righteousness, it's a filthy rag. How many of you love just holding a filthy rag in your hand? Anybody? Anybody like that? This past, uh, this past Wednesday, after we got through cooking, I, I decided, you know what? I saw Marty over there. I said, I'm going to go clean this pan out. And I thought to myself, I'm so glad she cleaned all these dishes. Because I reached over and grabbed that, that scouring pad or whatever it was, and man, I washed my hands like three times after I got through with it. Right? I mean, I put soap on. I was like, man, I hope I got all this stuff off of me. I even went home and thought, I'm going to wash my hands one more time. Right? Listen, at our very best, apart from Jesus Christ, we are a filthy rag. We offer nothing good. Nothing good to God. Nothing good to His kingdom apart from Jesus Christ. But oh, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, the master teacher who is patient with us. And when we repent of our sin and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He washes us white as snow purifies us. He forgives us and purifies us from all of our unrighteousness. And now we can stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Mark tells us that Jesus, after his disciples, rebuked the people and tried to turn them away and tried to turn the children away. He says that Jesus was indignant. You see that? You know how many times that word is used in the Bible? Twice. Twice. Do you know what the word indignant means? It means righteous anger. Righteous anger. In other words, Jesus did not approve of their language. He did not approve of their actions. He did not approve of this rebuke. And so Jesus became indignant. It was righteous anger. He wanted to make sure they understood who he was what he was about, and what they were chosen to do. Because they were acting against the Spirit of God. They were acting against the kingdom. And so Jesus takes this moment to teach them, and he teaches them something powerful. He says to them, look at the words, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And I'm going to tell you that phrase, Like a little child, it has confused so many people. There are people that actually believe when he says like a little child, Jesus is talking about innocence. That is actually not true. He's not talking about innocence. That's not what he's saying. When you look at the context and you look at what he's teaching, it's not about innocence. I love what Dr. Daniel Aiken says. You know what Dr. Daniel Aiken says in his commentary? He says children are little sinners just like adults are big sinners. And all sin needs to be forgiven, and all sinners need a Savior. So so when Jesus says, like a little child, don't say, oh, sweet and innocent. Because let me tell you something. You ever had a two-year-old, right? Mamas and daddies throw a toy at you. And what did you do to their little hand when they threw a toy at you? You popped them on that little hand and taught them, no. Right? Anybody got a teenager in the house? 
Anybody got adult children? They still blow your mind, don't they? Right? So, so don't make this about innocence because that's not what this is about. Because here's the truth. We are all sinners. All of us. From the tiniest to the tallest. From the smallest to the biggest. From the one that's dressed the best to the one that's dressed the worst. We are all sinners and we deserve God's wrath. His full wrath. We deserve the penalty and the punishment of sin, which is death. Separation from God forever and ever in a place called hell. This ain't about innocence. That's not what it's about. I love this. Pastor R. Kent Hughes says this in one of his sermons. He says, The realization that one is helpless like a child naturally fosters humility. You want to know what being like a child is? It's being helpless. Not being able to get from one place to the other without someone's help. Helplessness naturally fosters humility. And when you come to God Almighty, you can't come with any kind of self-righteousness. You can't come with anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ and be right with Him. That's it. It don't matter how many sermons Brother Jeff has preached. It don't matter how many years you've been a member of this church or that church or how many years you've been a Sunday school teacher or a deacon. It don't matter how many people you've led through the Roman road. I'm going to tell you something. You don't come to God with your efforts and your merit and your deserving. You come to God helplessly. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus who lived for me and died for me and rose from the grave for me. Thank you for Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. And when we do that, when we repent of our sin and we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then we can stand right before God. And it's not, it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Receiving the kingdom of God and coming to Jesus is not earned. It's not bought, and I'm going to tell you, it's not deserved. It's a gift. It's grace. It's God's grace. You know, in Matthew chapter 18, when I was studying, I love to look at the parallel versions and stories. I look at Matthew and Luke and John as I'm studying the book of Mark. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a conversation that goes on between the disciples and Jesus. And what does Jesus like to do with his disciples? He likes to teach them. He likes to disciple them. I do, love this. I do love this fact about the disciples. When they are confused and they don't understand, at least they do turn to Jesus. <laughs> at least they do go to the one who can give them truth because he is truth. So in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, the disciples go to Jesus and they're having a conversation about who's the greatest. Don't you love those conversations? Who's the greatest, Right? Uh, in this day and age, you know what we call them? We call them the GOAT, the greatest of all time. You know I'm a Dodgers fan, and you know I, I love Los Angeles Dodgers baseball. I remember back in 1988, my dad and I were in the living room, and we were watching the Dodgers. They were actually not even supposed to be in the World Series, but they made it, and they were playing the mighty Oakland A's. That year, the Oakland A's won like 105 ball games. Uh, you know, people said, oh, the A's are going to sweep the Dodgers. It's going to be four games, and Dodgers won't win a game. One thing I loved about the Dodgers was their announcer. Their announcer was a man by the name of Vin Scully. 
Vin Scully announced Dodgers baseball for 67 years. This week he died. He died. And I heard guys talking about he's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. There's never been an announcer like Vin Scully. When important things happened, he's your guy. And I remember back in 1988 when I fell in love with Vin Scully, right, as a, as a commentator. They were in the World Series, and Kirk Gibson came up to bat for the Dodgers, and they were getting beat. And um, Kirk Gibson had been hurt for the whole part of the, you know, second half of the year. And he comes up to pinch hit, and he hits a home run. And I'll never forget Vin Scully announcing that, right? And from that point on, I wanted to be Vin Scully. Like, I tried to talk like him, right? I tried to look like him even though he was like six foot four and had red hair. <sighs> he had a great voice for radio, though, right? Didn't matter how tall he was or what color his hair. So I tried to talk like him. He was the goat. And so the disciples, right? The disciples are having that conversation. Well, I'm better than you. Hey, I cast out a demon and you didn't. Can you imagine the stories they're talking about, right? Oh, well, when Jesus wants to pray, guess what? He asked me to go with him, right? And so they're having this conversation. Who's the goat, right? Who's the greatest? Jesus responded to them in verse 3. Listen to what he said. Verses 3 through 5, actually. Truly I tell you, unless you change. So he's talking to the disciples. They have this idea about greatness, about what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And what's the first thing Jesus says? Unless you change. In other words, you're wrong. <laughs> your way of thinking and your direction is wrong. You must change. Here's what he says. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children. There's that statement again, huh? Unless you become like little children, you will never Enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Wow. I'm so thankful that Jesus, right? Jesus was patient with his disciples and Jesus continued to teach them and lead them. See, being like a child means coming to Him helplessly. It means coming to Him humbly. And being humble before the Lord means that we recognize His sovereignty and we recognize our need, our desperate need of everything He has and everything He is. We recognize You are sovereign and I am not and I am desperate. I need your love. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Oh, Lord, I need your help. Because I can't help myself, and no one else can. I am helpless before you. But I'm hopeful. Amen? That's what I love about our children. Man, when I saw them at VBS, right, and their eyes and their smiles, and I saw these students, right, serving at VBS, doing what they were doing, I saw hope everywhere. I saw hope displayed everywhere. That's what it's like to be a child, to come helplessly before the Lord, to come with great hope, but also to come humbly. And so Jesus teaches his disciples, right, who still need a lot of work, amen? They've been with Jesus for a long time, and they've been seeing all kinds of miracles and all kinds of things take place. But they still needed Jesus. Even at their best, they still needed Jesus. That's a whole other message. So let's get back to this one. 
what does Jesus do? After he talks to his disciples, Jesus does, right, what the people brought the children there for. He receives them. Jesus receives the children. I'm going to tell you, it didn't matter what what the secular world, what the culture had decided about children. It didn't matter what traditions the Israelites honored or didn't honor with their children. Jesus showed them and he shows us today that children should be received with open arms at all times with unconditional love. I'm going to say that one more time. Children should be received with open arms and with unconditional love at all times. Jesus shows us that. Jesus knows that these children were created in the image of God. Just like these disciples were created in the image of God. Just like these adults who brought them were created in the image of God, these children were created in the image of God. I'm going to tell you, our verse in VBS, you want to know what it was? It was Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. You know what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says? That we are God's handiwork. Some versions say masterpiece. We are God's handiwork, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. That's what Jesus sees when He sees these children. See, the disciples, they saw more important things to do. Let's, let's go make sure the Pharisees know what the law says, what it really says, and what it really means. Uh, let, let, let's go over here and heal this sickness and this disease, and let's take care of this person and that person. You know what Jesus said? I value these children. They were created in the image of God, and I want them to know who they are. And I want them to know whose they are. And I want them to know why they are. And so Jesus said in Matthew eighteen fifteen, when we welcome children, who do we welcome? Jesus, I'm going to tell you, church, we better never, ever stop welcoming the children. Because when we stop welcoming the children, guess who we stop welcoming? Jesus. I don't want to be the one to ever stand between Jesus and the children. You know what I want to be? I want to be the one intentionally bringing them to Jesus. Intentionally pointing them to Jesus. Planning, purposeful, getting the children to Jesus. Because what does Jesus do when he receives the children? The Bible says he blesses the children. This was a practice. This was a practice that was performed many times in the Old Testament. I love it in in the book of Genesis. You remember Jacob? You remember Jacob? Jacob was there and, and his son, Joseph, right, brought his two sons to him. Do you remember what Jacob did? He put his hands on those two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, and what did he do? He kissed them on the head to bless them. Jesus blesses the children. Did you know that the word blessed, this is pretty interesting. I was looking at my, my Greek and my Hebrew Bible. Do you know that in Mark chapter 10, verse 16, that word blessed is actually a form of the word blessed that means fervently blessed? It means intensely blessed. So Jesus didn't just go, bless your child, bless your child. No, 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 no. He pulled them in close. And he held them tightly and they felt his love and they felt valuable because he made them feel that way. It was a fervent blessing. And he shows the disciples that these children are absolutely worth his time. Absolutely worth his time. And I'm going to tell you, church, the children 
Not just the children you saw sitting here, but the children over there in the nursery. Thank God for our nursery workers. The, the, the little pre-K children that are in children's church, thank God for those workers. I'm going to tell you something. The children matter to Jesus, and the children should matter to us. And we should do anything and everything we can to make sure we're pointing them to Jesus, leading them to Jesus. Because here's the thing, mamas and daddies, I know you've learned like I have, I can't save my children. You know what's crazy? I'm so much like the disciples that even today I'm still trying to save my children. I'm still trying to make it to where they have it better or they have this or they have that, or they stay away from this or stay away from that. I'm still trying to save my children. Here's the truth. I can't save my children and you can't save your children. Only Jesus can save your children. You know what daddy needs to do more time? Daddy needs to do more time studying God's word, praying and teaching his children the word. That's what daddy needs to do. Can I lead them and guide them? In education and in work and making good choices? Sure I can. But at some point i got to say, God, I need you. And until I come to that point, I'm going to drive myself crazy. And I'm going to tell you something. I speak from experience. Intentional. Intentionally evangelizing our children, intentionally praying with our children, intentionally blessing our children. I want to be more like Jesus, not like the disciples. Did you hear me? I want to be more like Jesus, not the disciples. Because the disciples were not perfect. Jesus was. So here's my question as we close. As a church, as a family unit, are we helplessly and humbly coming to Jesus? Or are we walking up in church and walking up to Jesus like we just got it all? Oh, Jesus, look at me. Oh, Jesus, I'm a teacher. Oh, Jesus, I'm a preacher. Oh, Jesus, I'm a deacon. Oh, Jesus, I gave 25% to the tithe instead of 10. Oh, Jesus, I've been... How are we coming to Jesus? Like, really? Are we coming proud of who we are and proud of our accomplishments? Because I'm going to tell you something. That looks a lot like the Pharisees, don't it? And, and you read the New Testament and tell me how that goes for the Pharisees. The, the disciples even sometimes started sliding in that direction, right? Who's the greatest? Who's better than who? We don't come to Jesus with our lofty education. Oh, I went to seminary. Oh, I've got five degrees. Or, oh, I've taken this course and that course. No, you don't come to Jesus with your high and lofty education just like you don't come to Jesus with all your accomplishments, with all your status, with anything in and of yourself because if you do, he's going to turn it around. And he's going to make sure you understand this ain't about your education and this ain't about your title. This is about what I have done for you. Because I'm going to tell you, Jeff's blood didn't save his children. Jesus' blood did. Jeff's profession of faith and Jeff's service in kingdom ministry didn't save his children. Jesus did. 
So how dare me ever think that and come to Jesus going, oh, I deserve this or I deserve that. I'm going to tell you something. You better be careful with what you deserve when you come to Jesus because the Bible tells me what I deserve. No, we come by faith. And we come by God's amazing grace, don't we? I read to you just a few moments ago, Ephesians 2 verse 10, right? Where God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that He prepared for us to do. Let me read you verses 8 and 9, just in case. I think you know it, but let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, For it is grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Are we helplessly and humbly coming to Jesus? And finally, are we trusting in and are we relying on Jesus' finished work and God's amazing grace? Or are we relying on us? You ever been burned out before? Anybody ever been burned out? Nobody wants to raise a hand on that. But I think most of us have probably been burned out before. It's the same thing, right, in kingdom ministry. You can get burned out at work. You can get burned out at home. I'm tired of washing the dishes. I'm tired of mowing the yard. Jonah, it's your turn, right? I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired. I'm just tired. I'm burned out, right? We can get burned out so much. And it happens to us in kingdom ministry too, right? We work, 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 thinking it's going to get better, better, better. And we work, 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 and we think we're going to get this, this, this. Listen to me. We don't work for this, this, and this. We work because. We work because. I love serving in kingdom ministry because of what Christ did for me. It doesn't mean my life's going to get easier or that my bank account's going to get bigger. Or that my children are just going to do exactly what the Bible says they're supposed to do? Right? No, I don't serve in kingdom ministry so that my life can get better. I serve in kingdom ministry because Jesus has made a way for me to. And I'm overwhelmed by His love for me. And I'm thankful that I can participate instead of spectate. I've told you that before. I used to hate coaching <laughs> because I couldn't get out there on the floor and shoot with the guys, like the team, in the game. I had to watch them on the sideline. It drove me crazy, right? I'm so thankful in kingdom ministry, I don't have to sit in the bleachers and watch what's going on. No, I get right out there in the middle of it. Kind of like Jeremy and Brandon and Anna and Christine and all of them did at those camps. You saw that? Yeah. Hey, right there in the middle of it. I trust in Jesus' work, not mine. Because Jesus' work is perfect and it is finished. And it's the only way I can be right with God. Like a child. I believe when we, adults, parents, churches, when we get this right, when our posture and our attitude and our heart is right, when we get this right, when we come to God, then we can welcome the little children and receive the little children and bless the little children just like Jesus modeled for us. And like I said earlier, I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that you, Start Baptist Church, are participating in what Jesus was already doing. I'm so thankful that you value the children, that you invest in your children, and that you are pointing them and leading them to Jesus. And I'm here to encourage you to keep on keeping on. 
and don't fall in love and don't even look at the world and what the world says is best for the children because I'm going to tell you, the world is lying. And the prince of this world, who is Satan, is, is trying to point our children in every other direction. So we as a church, let's keep pointing them to Jesus and let's keep teaching them Jesus, evangelizing, praying, discipling our children so that they can know the truth. Because as you know, it is the truth that sets you free. So thankful. So thankful for Jesus. Amen.